When was the last time you found yourself in a moment so wonderful, so glorious, so beautiful that you wished it would never end? That vacation that you dreamt might stretch on a few more days? A honeymoon that you fantasized might last for weeks and weeks? That victory celebration that you would linger in the rest of your days if it were possible. We love those moments, those glorious, wonderful moments. And part of the reason it's so hard to leave them is because we know what's waiting for us on the other side. That work that waits for us to return, work that must be done. The ups and downs of relationships that always come our way. The next season and the grueling process that has to begin again. As much as we'd love to hang on to those moments, we know that they must pass. And another part of us, I think, also knows that that is where the real, deep, abiding joy is to be found. Not perched on the mountaintop, but back down on the ordinary ground as we take with us from that mountaintop experience a vision and a hope and a renewal that changes the way we encounter the struggle and the challenges that wait for us. Peter Our friend, our role model, found himself in the midst of a mountaintop experience, and he didn't want to let it go. He looked and saw his master Jesus standing and talking with Moses and Elijah. And even though Peter didn't know exactly what was going on, he knew that it was good. And when he saw those pillars of the faith begin to fade away, He interjected himself into that situation a little awkwardly and did whatever he could to hold on to it, to make that glorious moment last forever. Master, he said, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, literally three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, anything we can do to stay here forever. Luke lets us know that he didn't quite know what he was saying. Peter often opened his mouth before he really knew what he was saying. But as is often the case in our own lives, sometimes those unguarded moments are where our deepest desires show up. And it can be good to pay attention to them, even if we know they're not quite possible. We celebrate this moment today, a baptismal feast in our life, the Feast of the Transfiguration. We remember it as one of the pillars of the Christian story. But I wonder if we forget how closely tied this feast is with a Jewish celebration, the Feast of Booths, Sukkot. In contemporary Judaism, although still centrally important, it doesn't get as much attention as Passover or even Hanukkah these days. But back when Jesus lived, the Feast of Booths was as important as any religious observance. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, described the Feast of Booths, Sukkot, as the most important feast of the Jewish year. Back then, They just called it the holiday, 
because everybody knew the holiday was the Feast of Booze. And I don't think it's an accident that when Peter opened his mouth and asked Jesus if he could hold on to this moment a little longer, he used the language of booth, of dwelling, to try to hang on to it a little longer. To first century readers of this text, when you mention booths, when you mention building that temporary dwelling, it would have been automatic to think about that festival, that great celebration, that pilgrimage moment when all of God's people gathered in the holy city. They gathered to remember the time that their spiritual ancestors had spent in the wilderness. And in order to reenact that memory of the journey, they would build for themselves booths, huts, tabernacles, a temporary shelter where they would live in that holy city for the entire celebration. So it doesn't surprise us that when Jesus saw these reminders of the wilderness, Moses and Elijah, that his instinct was to hang on to it and to hang on to it by building some booths. It's a feast that was familiar to him. It was a reminder of a great moment in the past. It was a sign of God's salvation coming to God's people. But the problem is that although it's good to celebrate these moments from the past, it can be a mistake to try to hang on to them too tightly. Just as that journey in the wilderness was a part of the process of God's people leaving slavery in Egypt in search of freedom in the land of promise, so too is this Mount of Transfiguration just another stop on the journey. And if we find ourselves trying to hold on to it, trying to stay right here where we are, we run, run the risk of missing how God is showing up in saving ways in the rest of our lives. We don't need help magnifying our mountaintop experiences. We need help looking for hope in life's valleys. This story, although it takes place on a mountaintop, is actually all about the valley. Luke is the only gospel writer who, when telling this story, lets us know what Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking about. He tells us that they were talking about Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But actually, the word he uses for departure is the word exodus. They were talking about Jesus' exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Talk about a loaded term. Talk about a word that reminds us of being set free in search of salvation. And if we missed the Exodus connection, Luke goes another step, and when he starts this story, he uses a phrase that grounds it in the part that came before. Our lectionary authors who stitch together the reading we have today, they do us a favor and a disservice at the same time. They actually cut out the first few words of verse 28 because they don't want us to hear something that speaks about the verses that came before because we might spend this whole sermon wondering, what was that about? The preacher didn't mention that part. But listen to those words. Listen to how that verse actually starts. 
Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Luke doesn't want us to hear about what happens on the mountaintop without remembering that those disciples, as they climbed up that hill with Jesus, still had ringing in their ears what had been said eight days before. And what had been said? Peter had identified Jesus as the Christ, and in response, Jesus said, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And if anyone would be my disciple, let them take up their cross and follow me. That is the exodus. That is the liberation that awaited in Jerusalem. No wonder Peter wanted to stay on that mountain. Don't we all want to stay on that mountain? Don't we want to hold on to that glory and joy and beauty, especially when we know that what's waiting for us at the bottom is often struggle and hardship? Wouldn't we rather hang on to the joy we know today rather than risk that the challenges that await us might somehow quench that dimly burning wick? But we know in our hearts that God's salvation isn't finished on the mountaintop. That God's hope for us doesn't stay on that mountain. It comes back down, back into the valley where we so often find ourselves desperate for a reminder of hope. This story is a reminder not only of what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, but it is a reminder to us that all of our challenges and struggles have been transformed because of the one who walked down that mountain and inhabited those challenges with us so that we might be lifted from them. Thanks be to God that the Holy One, the Glorious One, didn't stay perched on that mountaintop where we would spend our lives struggling to get closer. Instead, God brought that Glorious One right into our midst, into the muck and mire that threatened to blow out that flame that flickers. And yet because of the One who comes and meets us here, we know that light shines brightly, even in the darkest places of our lives. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that the one who loves us and saves us doesn't stay away, but comes close. Thanks be to God that our hope isn't perched on a mountain, but right here with us, where we need it most. Thanks be to God that the one who shines God's love and light into the world shines it right here, where we need it most.